it would be like getting shreds of the Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and Fifty Shades of Grey, and trying to make a story out of it. Uh, I would love to see that, but I also would hate you, it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> And welcome back to another episode of the Engineering Dads Podcast. How are we doing, boys? Very, very well, good, mate. Very, How very are you? Good. I'm okay. I'm okay. I had a very lazy Sunday. I'm pretty sure we went surfing today. We actually tried. Oh, I tried yeah. to reteach myself how to surf. Yeah. It's not going well. Those was... hips are looking good, mate. That's what I would <laughs> oh, say. Well, that's just all the hip thrusts I've been doing at the gym. It's fine. It's yeah. like... Old grandpa <laughs> un- Paddy un- has gone back to yeah. mid-40s Paddy. And you're working down, working down the ladder again. Hopefully, I'll get to like 35 Paddy soon, even though I'm... 25 so i'm um, if anything i'm benjamin button in it if anything <laughs> i like it yeah but, but but instead of age it's lifestyle choices anyway enough of that <laughs> for some reason today i've been asked to start the podcast because <laughs> you volunteered i volunteered as tribute what do you mean? mainly for the fact that i never do it and yeah, i was like okay, okay. Well, I we're it. very happy for you to start but i'm not but the thing is i don't know really what we're talking about because i thought we we're talking about cloning but now we're actually talking about like de-extinction the mm. ethics about actually bringing yeah. back because there was a news report uh, a couple of, was it a few weeks ago about a university um, a university program trying to bring back the Tasmanian tiger. Yes, so actually, it's only been this real week that it, it's been discussed about the thylacines de-extinction event, and this has been done across the world. Uh, a few different places are trying to bring back certain native wildlife. For example, Americans are trying to bring back the woolly mammoth using mm-hmm. DNA and kind of like a starting mm. base off the Asian elephant. Um, and where Australia, we are starting to do the uh, Tasmanian tiger, the thylacine. Well, it makes uh, sense because yeah. it actually is, you know, the home of... Yeah, I mean, we are doing that, but also there's a few reasons why we're doing it. And before I get into it, I think I should pass over to Jimmy to kind of explain a bit more the context of what is de-extinction and why we're kind of talking about it today. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll give a bit of context on the Tasmanian tiger. So it dates back to about 5,000 years ago, I'm pretty sure. Uh, pretty much what happened was when European settlers came to Tasmania, and that is Tasmanian tigers, they were like shit, they're killing all our cows and all our sheep and all our cattle. They're the reason we can't get food, which Mm. I wrongly blame for. It actually weren't the cause, so they pretty much hunted them out and drove them into extinction. Um, The last Tasmanian tiger was spotted in a zoo, which died on its own in in segregation, uh, sorry, in neglect in 1936. Mm. Since 1999, Australian scientists have been working together to try and bring back the Tasmanian tiger using uh, genetic technology, pretty much bring it back from the dead. So there's a group called Colossal Biosciences co-founded by a Harvard University scientist that are working with now the University of Melbourne who have already sequenced most of the Tasmanian tiger genome. So it's believed that both good quality DNA is available and its prey and parts of the natural habitat still exist in the environment. So bringing it back wouldn't actually do any harm to the environment, which is pretty good. Probably restabilize the the natural Mm. ecosystem to a degree. What year was the last one? 1936. Yes. Okay, so well, so nothing, not too much has changed within the past 100 years um, besides, like, technology, I guess. Yeah, I, I imagine, like, the, the native areas have been shrunk as, like, natural growth of human settlement has pushed these areas out mm. and further, mm-hmm. further away uh, from, like, natural wa- water streams. So there, there is probably some difference, but Tasmania is very much a very flora and fauna-based uh, state. Any, but if anything, it'll just be, it'll, the differences will be minuscule in the cases where, you know, it dates back nearly 5,000 years, the animal mm. or something like yep. that. So, you know, and that's been evolving over the 5,000 years. So clearly, yeah. you know, when it first, you know, was recorded till when it yeah. was extinct... The, so much thing is so, so much I would, difference. I would say the natural environment that it, it died in 
where it became extinct hasn't really changed since mm. its extinction. Well, that's why they're saying it's yeah. a good idea to bring it back because it's not like we're bringing it into like a undesirable environment yeah. or so unfavorable environment. I, I feel really not bad. A, not a Jurassic Park situation. No, no, no. Well, that, but like the idea is we're going after the Tasmanian tiger, which is something that has been recently extinct, recently being 100 years in the grand scheme of like evolution. Um, but what, like the Americans are bringing back a woolly mammoth into a world which is heating up higher and higher. It's not a good I idea. I feel like bringing back an animal with a natural, like, um, furry jacket on in California is not an ideal Perhaps situation. Perhaps it's arguable they're just bringing it back for meat. <laughs> yeah, it's they're like... They're just going to kill, like, a mammoth oh, and that's enough God. to last could, a family could be for like, a whole um, decade for meat. I will talk about the meat topic no. as well later. No, but. well, it, it could be... Um, have, you ever, have you guys ever seen the movie Okja? I can't say. It's I a know. Netflix movie. It's, it's done by uh, Bon Joon Ho. It's the same guy that did Snowpiercer, oh, um, right. Parasite, and basically it's about this company that genetically modified this weird hybrid between making these super pigs, mm-hmm. and they're basically just trying to like feed everyone, and they, and the best pig will be bred and just feed yeah. everyone in the world. So it's wow. really it's like I guess the mammoth could be using that type of situation where they're just kind of using them, yeah. bringing them back just to kind of mass feed everyone and mass populate them again. No, okay, that's we'll, we'll, get, <laughs> we'll get we'll get into you that. Never know. We'll I know. In- I do know that they wouldn't bring back an animal that's hasn't gone the the evolutionary like um, farm horticulture that's experienced by cows and pigs. If realistically, we would clone cows and pigs before we would bring back an animal just to mm. kill and need it. Yeah, like we'll, that, we'll, yeah, we'll get into that as a discussion. Maybe. Let's start before we get into the technology. I want to talk about where they're up to with this. So they're expecting to have the first Tasmanian tiger released within a decade, um, back into the environment with ninety nine point nine percent relation to the original genome. So I think right now they're up to ninety six percent. And quote what they've said: the last four percent is described as getting is it's like doing one of those horrible puzzles that's all baked beans or all blue sky. Every bit looks the same, and we're trying to figure out how yeah. it goes together. So now, researchers are comparing the genome to its closest living relative, which was known as the fat-tailed dunnart, using something called CRISPRE gene mm. editing technology to engineer the dunnart genome into a more closely resembled Tasmanian tiger. So they've already figured out how to reprogram the dunnart skin cells into stem cells, and whether they can generate an entire embryo, which hasn't not never been done with marsupials. And there's reasons why this one mm. might not work is because the donut is actually about 40 million years apart from the Tasmanian tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I like that analogy of the puzzle. The one I saw from an ABC article that's re- actually released back in March. So this is not a new topic. It just becomes spruce because Chris Hemsworth started talking about it. Yeah, um, I mean, Chris Hemsworth been trying to save any extinct animal he can. Good on him. It's just Yeah, he's, he's trying to pick it up with his massive biceps. But the the one in um, March that came out, they, their description of what genome sequencing is like is imagine you've got all three of the original Lord of the Rings books and you put them through a shredder. And so you come out with these little pieces of paper. You get maybe a few words, a few characters, maybe 30 words. You get all these scraps. And someone says, what's the main story? Who's the main... Uh, romantic protagonist what happens what is the motif that goes to the story you go fuck i don't know i've got bunches of little bits of paper and maybe in that version yeah. it's uh the eagles actually took the ring to mordor <laughs> yeah that actually made, made that would just skip like <laughs> to, to the middle book straight away but yeah. what they said was the the helping with this genome sequencing by knowing what a close relation it was by this fat tail done up that james has mentioned is imagine someone else had like an audiobook of it you go, oh shit, we actually have an idea of what the story should be. So we can start piecing these pieces of paper back together. And eventually you might get really damn close to the real book, if not an exact copy. And so that's the main thing in having this 
several million years of data um, through different like species. Like the whole family tree of like the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger is actually related to Tasmanian devil, the quoll, the numbat and the fat-tailed dunnart through the same animal, which was 46 million years ago, which was a Dasyumophria. <laughs> Fuck that up. But the, yeah. The entomology is not always on point, but that's all right. It's a, it's a work in progress. Dasyumophria. I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so the specific genomic sequencing, as I mentioned, is called the CRISPR. And the, the way CRISPR. they found it, yeah, it was quite interesting, is basically bacteria were identifying viruses and the way they were fighting viruses off was simply just cutting it. And mm. then, but keeping parts of that virus to say, well, if the virus comes back, how do I recognize it? So it, in a way, created its own vaccine. So it mm. would cut the virus and then viruses are like DNA. So very, very similar. And scientists realized this and were like, how can we actually use this for genomic sequencing? So yeah. what they did is they got an enzyme known as the Cas9 and the Cas9 does exactly what I just described. It knows how to cut DNA. It does this in conjunction with something called... Um, guide RNA. So we've all heard RNA in the last year with mm. vaccines and whatnot. Moderna and Pfizer are most yep. famous for being leading, uh, at least commercially, the NRMA vaccine rollout. Yeah. And the way I, I look at those two is like a, uh, it's like a dog owner and it's a dog. So like the enzyme is like the dog and the guide RNA is like the owner where it guides it to the pace, place where it needs to cut DNA. So it goes cut DNA here. And what that does is it allows DNA to then be added to the strand in which it got cut. Mm. Yeah. So in a way, what it does is it damages DNA and the cell goes, well, I need to repair myself now. It's what happens when, when your cells are damaged, they repair themselves. It's just natural bio yeah. biology. Mm -hmm. So what it does is when it breaks it and you've got this enzyme, it goes, oh shit, I need to rebuild myself, but I have a different bit of code now to do it. Yeah. So when it rebuilds itself and you inject it into an embryo, instead of doing its normal sequence, like with the, um, with the Dunal, it's going to go into... What's suspected what's Tasmanian. Dunal? Dunal is like the, the, the little marsupial, which has have relation to the thylacine. Okay. So yeah. it's it's forcing a mutation, which is de yeah. in its in itself de extinction yeah. on, on a smaller scale. And so I think the idea behind it, and this has been done um, before, I mean Dolly was the main main cloning example of this, where they've taken a human uh, adult cell and then forced it to create a clone by doing it. So effectively they get a nucleus of the Dunart. And then they do this this process of breaking down the DNA of the Dunnart to now replicate the thylacine and then grow it from as a baby. And then you should have, effectively, a Tasmanian tiger. That's the idea behind it. So you, it's like the whole okay. idea of egg and chicken. Well, realistically, the answer to that question of what came first, egg or chicken, it is an egg from a different animal that laid a chicken. Pretty mm. much, yeah. It happened through natural processes yeah. over <coughs> tens of thousands yes, to millions of years. Yes, we're doing it in a lab like that. In a heartbeat. So it's very similar to what you see in mm. Jurassic Park, right? especially in the first ones. Obviously, not yeah. the same process. Not the, but yeah. So the, the real main difference between this de-extinction for the Tasmanian tiger versus the dinosaurs, and James and I were kind of talking about this beforehand, is one of the reasons the Tasmanian tiger's DNA was intact was um, the last mm. one that died did give birth, or one of the last ones that died gave birth, and just before it died, they dropped it in alcohol. They just took a live one, put it in alcohol, and it died. But it, it preserved as much of the DNA as possible. So the DNA, even though it breaks down over time, um, it's only like 80 years old. So it's pretty pretty fresh. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to say fresh. because so like, fresh in quotation marks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably fresher than some of the food that we get from Woolies at the <clears> moment. <throat> but it would, its sample and DNA is accurate and you can grab it straight away. Whereas a dinosaur mm. from amber, that shit's 40, million years yeah, ago. 40, yeah, 40, yeah, 70, yeah. 100 million years old. There's no chance that DNA is usable, which is the main 
fall in that kind of story. Yeah. So it does capture DNA, but it breaks down. And think of the amount of impurities that DNA would have in oh, it, and the dating they used to yeah. get there. And that's assuming the mosquito <laughs> goes to the same animal and only kills the same animal, then gets stuck in amber. If it went through three different animals, went to a T Rex, a Triceratops, 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 and um, a Spinosaurus, for example, you're gonna get this weird like DNA sample being like, what the fuck? Am I, I don't doing think with? it would be able to yeah. sustain. You would, it would be like getting shreds of the Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. And Fifty Shades of Grey and trying to make a story out of it. Uh, I would love to see that, but I also would have <laughs> you, it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I think someone probably has oh, tried stop it, Ron. Stop it. Stop it. No. I'm pretty sure it was just uh, Harry Potter 6, to be fair. That's why, that's the book with all the sex in it anyway. Is it? I don't remember that reading really yeah. as a kid. Well, they're all like, the. that's the one where it's like, it's like the most young YA. It's the most young adult, like number six. Oh, okay. But like, so. was it was the eagles carrying a ring? <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Anywho, yeah, yeah they caught, the eagle caught Dumbledore as he was falling. That would have changed the story completely. <laughs> yeah, would change the, the game eagles. literally. <laughs> well, this is this is the thing, right? Because if you were to do it with dinosaurs, you'd do just that in uh, analogous term, which would not survive in the universe. Would not, sorry, wouldn't survive on Earth. And what we've figured out is like. The environment we have in Tasmania can mm. sustain the Tasmanian tiger if we bring it back. If you brought dinosaurs back, or even what you alluded to before, mammoths, yeah. they simply would not be able to survive. I think the biggest one was the the oxygen content. They have, I think there was like a different level of nitrogen and oxygen. I'm not sure the ratio was higher or lower, but they said their lungs were designed. And the reason the animals were so big was because also, the atmosphere was different. Also, the, also the vegetation was completely different. Yeah, you're right. And so, like both the food, the air encouraged larger animals to grow if you got something that large today it would just choke and die well i don't know in childbirth see I, this is this is an interesting conversation i have because you look at the diprotodon for an example which was uh, uh, it's a wombat right so look at a wombat now it's like not very big at yeah. all diprotodons and we're talking about a couple of tens of thousands of years ago when um when humans started to actually come into australia um the diprotodon was a huge wombat they call it mm. megafauna and the reason the diaprotodon died wasn't necessarily because of climate change. They actually go back and they say they got hunted out. And the reason they got hunted out is because they were very slow. They didn't weren't able to keep up. So indigenous people, for argument's sake, would just hunt them down easily. Yeah. It's an easy source of food. It's big. And then eventually they become endangered and they become extinct. Same way the Tasmanian tiger became yeah. extinct. So a, a question I have is if this is successful, would they bring the diaprotodon back? And what was the kangaroo? There was a kangaroo as well, which was also... Huge version of the kangaroo seed there. We're yeah. talking about twenty feet tall. Um, yeah, from the top of my memory, I don't know if that's an exact <laughs> fact, but that is freaky to think. Freaky to think about if they don't bring mm. those megafaunas back. Imagine a big like you know how you go like down the coast for an example, and you see like little wallabies and kangaroos, and like oh, you know they have a punch on. You're like oh, that's so cute. Give them some biscuit. Imagine you go out the back and there's a twenty foot tall kangaroo. That would be the death of me. See, I, I, I get scared when I see just a normal pack of like kangaroos and wallabies and they're all the same sort of like sort of shade of like tan brown and then there's just one that looks like an eskimo yeah i always i always question like okay why is that one like actually like full-on white fur and the rest have a brown it's fur like, it's like i just don't has, i don't has I don't he been understand. ostracized or is he just like that's the, what i think i bet it's like out. i was like oh he's probably bullied i feel sorry for the i feel sorry for the poor thing now sorry i also googled it by the way the reason why dinosaurs were so big was the level of co2 um was four times higher than it was today Back okay. then, during the Trisa uh, Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous periods, uh, which produced more abundant plant life, providing the diet that supported them. Mm. Okay, so are we talking about like, I mean, what what would dinosaurs have farted out compared to a cow? 
Like oh my god! Much higher methane composition. Yeah, that's probably why the CO two is four times the level. Just Steve's has been eating too much. Natural causing climate change. There, too, too much. Too much whey. Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> too much dairy in your diet, man. You got to uh, slow down. You should go, they should go to Gold's. Okay. Uh, just just rebreed all the dinosaurs. Take them to Gold's gym. Yeah. I wish I, had, I would I love that. Just seeing this. all the big dudes who spent their entire le- years looking big, and this one guy is like, "Hi, I'm uh, Jerry the Triceratops." <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, Jerry's doing and amazing. I, um, I'm here to train. <laughs> train glass. The dinosaurs <laughs> has glasses on as well. Oh my god, that was very good, Jimmy. <laughs> That's the technology in a nutshell. I feel like, gentlemen, we nailed that quite simply. Yeah. Um, this, this stuff is very easy to complicate. And I feel yeah, like I don't was... think we want to make it too complicated. I think where we're standing is, is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the question is, th- there was a bit of a debate about this. Is this something that we should pursue? And the only reason why this one, the Tasmanian Tiger process, is going ahead was it was like a $5 million fellow. Philanthropic. <laughs> yeah, you see, you got it too. Philanthropic. Philanthropic <laughs> donation. It was like it's five million or something. Philanthropy. Yeah, what's yeah. What's, I'm, I'm actually want to get the word right. Philanthropic. Philanthropist. You're a philanthropist. What? No, it's not. I'm, I'm telling Patty that he's a philanthropist. Oh, thank you. I feel, I feel flattered. I feel flattered. You're Philanthropic a... investment from the oh, University of Melbourne of five million dollars. Yeah, sorry, we screwed that up. But it was a $5 million donation that was thrown into it to get the project started again. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a bit of a debate. What is the best thing? Is Should we be investing heaps of money into de-extinction? So if something's on the verge of dying, we can pull it back and we can artificially inflate the numbers or do we just spend more money in actual conservation and fighting climate change or deforestation or the main cause of the de-extinction? Mm. Because let's be honest, most extinction these days, are human cause. I think it's like ninety something, over ninety percent. And it's been caused. like that for a very long time. It yeah. has been like a. a well, yeah. this is what I read. So I was reading the exact same thing. Conservation. If we were to spend the exact same amount of money on conservation that we are on just this project alone, we'd be able to increase conservation of animal species and preventing extinction by two to eight times, which is a quite a broad range, sure. But you're still conserving a population. Why mm. not do that rather than spending money on something that you don't know if it's going to work? There's uncertainty around yeah. that. And I think, you know, in, in this industry, in research, science, engineering, you always go with what you're more certain with. Um, yeah. If you don't have enough research or evidence to suggest that something uncertain is going to become certain, don't fucking do it. Like, spend the money on saving a species yeah. that's already there. I, I, and so I think we come to a, a general conclusion that we need to invest heavily in conservation to maintain and to go. And there's an ongoing cost. You can't just be like, up oh, $10 million this year, the animal's safe. No, it's an ongoing thing. And that's yeah. why the CEs, WWF and their conservation efforts are really, really good because they keep maintaining and developing new solutions, trying to get their efficiency down. I still also believe that putting money towards de-extinction, at least the technology side of it, is important. So we, if we ever needed to, if we were pushed beyond the, the point of breaking, we're like, look, they can't live here anymore. It's going to cost too much to move these animals from one part to another part of, of this country. Let's just increase the numbers artificially ahead of time. Like build a research facility yeah. there and grow it. And just to, to reiterate, um, 60% of mammals, birds, fish, and reptiles since 1970 have been wiped out caused by humans. Well, yeah. 60% we've lost of our species. That's fucking wild. So annoying. Here's, well, <laughs> I guess on that on that note, here's something I'm interested in, right? You talk about the technology, and I believe you're alluding to the evolution of what the technology can become if this was to be successful. Yes. And so, like, imagine this, right? Imagine, for example, 
humans were going to become extinct because we've destroyed the planet, right? And you know how we always talk about moving to Mars in the worst case scenario, mm-hmm. go fuck yeah. another planet up. Imagine if you could do a pre-inseminated artificial egg that you just shoot to Mars. This is very lunatic thinking, by the way, very speculative. You shoot it to Mars and over time that gets like its own DNA and you have a birth of a human that can survive in the atmosphere of Mars because of that mm. natural selection, natural evolution thing. Um, sounds very crazy, but if you've got the technology good enough, yeah. Th- this is how humans survive to the to where we are. Like the natural conditions of the Earth, we I'm not going to use the adaptation word because biologists kill you when you say adapt. Yeah. But we acclimatized, we mutated, yeah. um, and if those who couldn't survive in the atmosphere and the environment just died out, and that's essentially yeah. what natural it was like survival is. of the fittest. Survival right? of the fittest, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, mm. and that's how Darwin used to describe it. Yeah, what Jimmy's kind of touched on here is actually quite well referenced in the movie Interstellar, where the final scene where one person makes it through with um, the ability to then grow a population of humans with just stem cells. Remember that scene where, what the name of the, uh, Anne Hathaway's character lands on her own on the habitable planet and then starts creating a world and growing human beings. You remember that scene, Patty? You look at me very confused. No. Effectively, I, like... I, I fell asleep in the movie. Oh, what? <laughs> no, I love that still. Nah, but the idea was with one person, you could manage and grow embryos mm-hmm. of people from back on Earth. And the thing is, an embryo itself, if it's kept in the right container, can weigh maybe 100 grams. Yeah. No, not including the main capacity and like the other facilities to do it. The cost to get something to Mars per kilogram, guess the cost to get something to, just to Mars per, per, kil- per, per kilogram. kilogram. Per kilogram, we're looking at 500,000. No, it's lower than that, isn't it? It's lower than that, but it's in the same, uh, like... 400,000. It's 200,000 per kilogram. So sending a team of 10 people, let's say 10 people, 75 kilo... I'm not going to do the maths off the top of my head. You're under pressure, mate. Yeah, we're talking like millions and millions if you send even just a group of 10. Or you can send one person with the same weight in terms of a facility that could grow human beings... And millions of of these like embryos and nucleus, and this is well, where why that... not why why not just yeah. avoid that completely? Why not just you know how we sent the Mars rover to Mars? You yeah. send something that lands and it just plants itself exactly where it needs to be, and within that canister, it has the right conditions for the embryo or the egg to survive. I mean, yes, but human beings aren't like a plant where you can just give it three things and it'll survive. You need to give it care, nourishment, um, something to grow up with, someone to take care of. You need it needs a guardian. We yeah. can't do that. As you can't just shoot something and it grows within a day and there's a fully formed human being with a conscious mind being memory. That takes time. Well, this is like chicken and egg, right? Like what happened with the first humans that ever came about? How did they teach themselves? It's no, like they when didn't. You... No, no, no. It was natural evolution all through that. It wasn't just instant new. Yep. It was someone started learning, experimenting. Curiosity was something that drove humans' evolution. It then taught its offspring, yep. which then did the exact same thing and then accelerated that research slightly faster. And then that technology scale increased. It wasn't an, one or the other. It was a slow process. So, so you're saying we wouldn't go by that slow process if we were to do it. We'd actually have a guide to say, before, don't go through the mistakes we learned. Let me teach you. Well, right. that's what I'm saying is that process of someone then teaching the next generation, that would continue. Yeah, and you so want to keep would, that. Yeah. So you, even if you could send this technology, like a full research lab that would automatically start growing you still need someone there to make sure it runs properly. Yeah. So, I, yeah, yeah. I feel like we could touch on like uh, integrating this with AI as well. Mm. But that's... Uh, because imagine if you were the embryo that, that was born on Mars. You wake up, you know no one. 
Yeah. You don't know anyone. You don't have memories. You understand how to work things. Let's say they artificially implanted memories in you. Who do you serve? What's this, your purpose? This is a yeah. really good mm. movie idea for I. If I was a movie producer, I'd make a movie where that happens. But the person who lands, say, on Mars or an exoplanet, is taught everything by an AI, and it doesn't actually know other humans. It just gets shown videos of it by an AI. It's yeah. other humans. Well, where the fuck are the other humans? How do I sustain myself? Mm. Imagine that getting taught mm. by a robot. Which this is why I'm saying yeah. you can interlock this with what's happening in the world of robotics. But that in itself is a yeah. podcast on its own. That, yeah. So that's for me like where the future of, and that's actually a very good movie idea. Um, <laughs> but that's for me like invest, the, invest. Uh, I'm Shark Tank. TM, I want ten TM. million dollars for ten percent. I've just trademarked that idea. I'd yeah. like ten percent. Yeah, patent pending. Patent pending. Um, yeah. But that to me is could be a future idea. And the thing is, one of the the good bits is you can get the same DNA from like two people, mix them, and you can get like a million different combinations. The same way if two parents had a kid and another kid and another kid, all three can be very similar or completely different you have similarities but mm. you have different personalities if they're born in like uh april they're going to be an Aries, so that could be a little feistier or if they're born later in the year they could be i believe Gemini. we've deviated from the topic of genetics here <laughs> to more of an so, astrology sense based but, but let's be honest it brings out different people when you're born the time of day well, we have a strict no astrology talk on this podcast okay I'm and i'm only go, enforcing this in this episode i'm yeah. going back to my yin yoga really? only this episode i'm forcing in every episode i reckon yeah until until the episode where we interviewing like a professional astrologist which will be a very interesting conversation to have <laughs> all right let's do it yeah bring Put someone on. up yeah just play devil's advocate the fuck out of him or her okay so let's get into some of the, the ethical debate of it or the trivia uh well no let's let's have an ethical debate or not debate but ethical conversation or discussion about yes what the pros and cons of this are and what the arguments against it so I know, Sean, when we're talking about this offline, you mentioned something about the whole playing God playing discussion. God. That's yeah. been, and that's been talked about for a very long time. I'm not sure if you've seen the movie with Ewan McGregor in it. Um, it's about pretty much he got cloned. So like, um, mm, Yeah, it was a Michael Bay one, yeah. Yeah, Michael Bay. Yes, yes, yes. So he was a rich Ewan McGregor, cloned himself, and they were all in like a facility, um, which then escaped and found their clones. And then there was a whole ethical chat of like, you guys are playing God, this is wrong. Yeah. And... I still don't get the whole playing God argument. So I want to know what the whole... I Oh, I do. So I think this is, um, if we were doing pop culture references, is a Netflix series called Altered Carbon. Where oh, okay, yeah. The, the Island. Island. It's the called Island. The Island. The Island, that's the one, yeah. yeah. But Altered Carbon is effectively a futuristic thing where we have populations around the world, um, like uh, colonies across the universe. And the idea is you can never die, effectively. They found a material that they implant into your, into your back of your neck when you're a child and it can absorb your consciousness and transfer it to another body. So they can clone a body, they can clone you. And so if, for example, this body suddenly had cancer, you could take your consciousness put it in some. So people could live hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay. You never really degrade. And then like a murder happens and becomes like a murder mystery buddy cop film. It's actually really good. A really good casting. Great, great two, um, two seasons of it. But it dealt with the idea of, is this dealing God? And the person in the end... The person that developed this technology said we are playing God and we should break well, it down. Well, I, th I think an argument can be made that with all the um, extinct animals, plants, um, and just livestock mm. that we've killed over the hundreds of years, basically since like, like basically, like from the, the not like the 16th century onwards of yeah. like you know yep. the dodo bird, the uh, yeah, it's like, been most recent the fifty last fifty years. 
I would, I would argue it's probably more maybe that that could have been said if it was if you said it in the nineteen fifties I'll believe you. However, I feel like extinct like actual extinction of animals it's still going on, but it was very much prime like primarily yeah. you know in the nineteenth century or something like that. But it, that's a, that's beside the point. The point is we would we were being gods Killing, in that situation yeah. by hunting to death like hunting to the extinction of the, the extinction of an animal. So yeah. it almost seems almost fitting that. We now have we're now in a situation where we saw this. Okay, our ancestors were complete assholes. They wiped yeah. out all these creatures, the beautiful animals that we wish that we actually saw. We can change this for a select few where the mm. environment is actually to their liking. Mm. Nothing will the vegetation, um, the, um, the the landscape will actually yeah. be good for them. So why not? Well, okay, ethical question. You can bring back the woolly mammoth and now you can alter its DNA so it can survive in a hotter climate. Would you do it? Why not? Because now you've played God. But That's okay. not how it's naturally designed but my, to be. But my question is, why is playing God ethically wrong? I don't understand. Like, I've never found the argument against playing God. No, I don't think so. I agree. I don't believe playing God is bad in certain situations. It's the standard engineering response. It depends. Honestly, True. though, if, you, if your intention is to create life, to replace life mm-hmm. that you have already killed. For example, if you could bring something back that, that you have deliberately done or your but ancestors you're, done. But you're using the woolly mammoth as like the ultimate example when the woolly mammoth was was extinct by its own volition by like hunters. Like when was the last case of woolly mammoth? Nearly like in 13,000 yeah, BC. Mean, we can say that they were hunted to extinction. We can't really tell, but we can say yeah, they were but, hunted to extinction. However, then. we obviously wouldn't take that back. For example, maybe the... Um, Tasmanian tiger. No, not tiger. What about the, 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 the yeah, Tasmanian tiger? tiger yeah. Yeah. I thought the, 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 the other <laughs> Tasmanian animal. That, yes. like, that I'm trying to think. I came yeah. up with a list of like all the animals that they want to un, undo. Yeah, basically, like, well, the, the dodo bird, the, the, pigeon, will be the quagga. Like it's like a heart, a type of zebra that they're trying to like yeah. uh, do selective breeding to currently in like yeah. different but like with, places. Like, okay, yeah. Like so, the but, idea of playing God, like we do this with cows, where you go genetically modified organisms, where what they do is they pretty much make them really muscly cows um, yeah. by injecting the equivalent of steroids into their... Em- not even steroids, but something that helps them build muscle quicker. So when yeah. they when they get harvested for meat, um, there's a much higher protein content to sustain the population without having to exhaust protein sources. Yeah. But like, the thing is with this, like, I think of playing God, right? So if we look at it from a Christian point of view, God made us to expand our minds and figure out what we can mm. do with the universe. This is just one of those things like where we're figuring out how we can recreate life. So you're assuming what God's intentions were by saying you're playing God. Well, you're the one assuming that God didn't intend for us to create life. You, you, I don't know. I'm My Christian knowledge yeah. isn't that good, but is there anything written in the Bible where God says, I am the only one to create life? Yes. I okay, am the so one this, and only creator. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pure, <laughs> I have created life in my image. So it's Don't pu- alter it. It's purely yeah. an ethical argument against Christianity or like uh, no. Muslim, uh, and Muslim yeah. religions as well. If you're talking about Allah, like, you know, yeah, making yeah, yeah, life yeah. and whatnot. So this is where I would disagree. The idea of playing God isn't the idea that you're basing it off a real God. It's the idea that you are now a God to another animal or to another species. This species has no control over its life. I now control it because I am the omnipotent, omnipresent um, presence around it. Yep. I decide if it lives or dies. I am God. That, to me, is the definition of playing God. Being yep. its one, one true creator for something else outside of right. its own control. Which we wouldn't have the right to do. If you brought a species back, 
essentially you gave a creation to something which now has sentience, the ability to feel things, the ability to feel pain, understand the world around it. You don't have the right to play God over it. Sure, you brought it back. That doesn't give you ownership over the animal. This is like the AI debate. If you yeah. create an AI and oh, it gains I sentience. Don't, I don't think this is the AI debate. I think this is more of the, the Darwin debate of survival of the fittest because it wasn't who the fittest in the situation was the human. Yeah. I'm going to play God and kill you back in the 19th century when I like all the 16th century went to wipe out all the dodo birds. Now, okay, I am the survival of the fittest are now surviving. I am a scientist. I can bring it back using yeah. technology, using DNA that we have found through, you know, whatever means. Yeah. If we bring this back, we are now, and if the dodo, and we can now choose whether or not this, whatever is stronger, healthier, can actually survive. Yeah. But it's about how we are now, like the survival is about who is fittest now. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard because the whole like Darwinism approach to the survival of the strongest works until we hit this technology age where yeah. humans are no longer part of the food cycle. We're no, an oil, we're, we're, we are so far out. There is no apex predator to us. There is nothing un- mm. nothing that is not underneath us. And so, how do you define what is the fittest when there's no metric anymore? There isn't an apex predator. There isn't something that can beat other things. There's no like back and forth between Darwinism. There's no natural evolution. And evolution takes millions of years. We've shrunk that down to 10. If yeah. we don't, if like right now, like our thumbs are changing already just from the use of smartphones, our eyes are getting uh, less light than natural because we're getting more blue light from computers. We are automatically climatizing to the, the environment that's around us. No animal could do that as quick as we're doing it because we have to do it. We're, we're, our environment changes every five to 10 years. How many steps you walk up, the people are walking less. Like... The definition of survival of fittest doesn't fit anymore because there isn't one. And I feel like with humans as well, just because we do have the ability to, you know, be the apex predator, we also have the ability to understand that it's the wrong thing to do. Um, so why do it if even though we're the apex predator? Like, you know, you can't put your moral, um, I guess, your moral high ground in that of, say, a lion, which is you know, the top of the yeah. food chain and say, uh, you know, it's a hard type setting or whatever. Yeah. Um, my final ethical sort of thought on it is like, I think it's unethical from the point of view that both um, the Tasmanian tiger and the Dunnell would have to go through some sort of suffering to get this study done. But we've done that throughout history where we've mm. done tests on rats, done tests on monkeys. I think if, if it's for the betterment of society, like we've alluded to before, like what's the technology going to do? Yeah. If you're progressing society, then, then there is a gray area where you say, well, yes, it's unethical, but progressively we accept the risk we're taking yeah it's you saying you might cause suffering to 10 animals 10 physical animals yeah that could cause the birth of a million yeah like there's always that ethical scientific debate of weighing up the real cost and the real benefit and that is something that um is why scientific is at like an advisory position Mm. not control because if we had control we'd say this is the places to go these 10 million people need to die or something like that. Like, cause it'd be like, this is makes the society better because here's the outweighing benefits and doesn't take in that cost. But I, so I agree with you what you're coming from. Jimmy. But how do you like put a metric on that? Cause if it was like, Oh, we're going to test it on 10 humans, but it's going to cure cancer. But these 10 humans might die in the process. But that's, yeah. that's how controlled studies work though. Like you, as a human, you sign the waiver to go, I want to take part in this research because it actually might cure me and and it might help me out. Um, You sign the waiver to say, I understand that I might die. So it's giving humans a choice. 
you can't give a Tasmanian tiger a choice is what is is where it starts to get really really great is like how do you Ooh, that's measure a good that point. I guess like well, if well, a Tasmanian tiger doesn't choose to live nor does it choose to die it is it's, it's only purpose is to survive current. well it's not living currently yeah, but if it was to be born today do you think it would have a it would choose to die immediately <laughs> or would it choose to survive which is a natural, natural instinct yeah. yeah like even as even yeah. as humans you might not think because everything's sort of now given to us on a silver platter living in the country we do but we still instinctively survive if you're in a tough situation adrenaline takes over your mindset takes over and you figure out how to get out of things mm. the same with an animal instinct doesn't go away at least for some anyway well that's the whole idea that anxiety was the idea to give you adrenaline and like push up your body to flee a predator nowadays that same reaction given like a bad email your body starts building adrenaline and you start to, to do flight or fight theory and so like it, it's weird this instinct because in today's society it doesn't work because yeah it's because, actually it's, it's yeah, overthinking people it's, actually take it too yeah. far where it's like that anxious feeling yeah. you don't need to be anxious about that it's because someone else has put this preconceived yeah. fear in your head that it's no longer instinct it's more yeah. what you think is wrong or yeah. right because it's only designed to last three minutes because that's like how long an attack can last. Whereas now if a boss goes, Patty, I need to see you at the end of the day in my office. Bring mm. your stuff. You'd be freaking out for nine hours. <laughs> like yeah. you, or eight hours, right? Like you'd be mm. like shitting yourself for that period. It's the same reaction in both situations, but the period of length doesn't make sense nowadays. Anyways, that's, uh, we're going way off topic here. <laughs> Into, the, into some final trivia to end this off. So, boys, did you know the Tasmanian tiger isn't, in fact, a tiger? It's actually uh, belongs to the marsupial it's family, marsupial, yeah. if we have established. Um, How the hell would a tiger get to Tasmania anyways? <laughs> and if it did, would a tiger want to go to Tasmania? No offense to Tasmania, it's beautiful. It's just too cold. It's very cold. I very cold. All the tigers mm. I know of live in Africa, Asia, in nice warm areas. <laughs> oh, except the Bengal tiger. And also house cats. Yeah, and house cats. I don't know. I don't know about house cats, but... So it's they're, part, uh, they're part of the feline family. Yeah, they could be. I don't know. I don't know the, etym- the etymology, <laughs> etymology, but the uh, ancestry of um, cats. Well, very well, the feline. Speak, speaking of ent- speaking of entomology, its scientific name is be established as the thylacine, named after the thylacinus cynophallus, which is the Greek word for dog-headed pouched mammal. Dog-headed pouched mammal. Very, very nice. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Um, boys, if you've been listening to the podcast. In what year did it go extinct? It was like 1937. Oh, you're one off. 38? 36. Ah, <laughs> damn. I was close. I was like, it's around then. It's late 1930s. I'd made a guess right in the middle. Uh, interestingly, both the males and the females had pouches, which is uncommon for most marsupial species. Ah. They don't know why, but some speculate it was to honestly keep their ball sack warm in the colder <laughs> times. As you mentioned, Tasmania is a cold place. Yeah, it's possible. Very yeah. possible. I don't know if that's actually true. Sometimes when they got nervous, they hopped like kangaroos too, which would be kind of cute to see. They, they don't, not walk like normal, but when they got startled, they started to hop around like kangaroos, which is uh, quite a unique trait for a, for a mammal. Um, yeah, and they actually had a really weak bite. So when they did some um, studies on it, they found the jaw was quite weak, so they wouldn't be actually be able to tackle anything much bigger than a wallaby or a baby ostrich. Right, okay. Which is kind of, I thought, because like, I was looking at the family tree of the relation to the, the uh, Tasmanian tiger, and I was expecting to see dingo there, to be honest. And I didn't. Nothing, I didn't yeah. see the dingo, which is known for having no bark. It's the only uh, like four-legged friend, the dog in the world that doesn't bark or howl, which is terrifying. Kind of makes a yip sound when it's happy. Mm. Um, 
and has an incredibly strong bite. Yeah. Okay, interesting. That's, uh, that's cool. Whenever I think of the Tasmanian Tiger, I think of a game I used to play on the PlayStation 1 called Tasmanian Tiger. And that's what I used to always thought it would be like. It would be terrifying if that uh, thing was real. I can't <laughs> remember the name of the game. Oh, sorry. The name of the game was Tasmanian Tiger, but I can't remember what the goal was. I think it was just go around and just survive and kill animals. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, wasn't the one of the... Um, uh, classic Looney Tune characters of Tasmanian Tiger. Or was it Tasmanian Devil? It was called the Tasmanian Devil. It was, it was the one devil. that was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the next, <laughs> in the next, bringing back of extinct animals, it is the saber tooth tiger. Oh, duh, God. Duh, duh. I was That'd actually, I actually did look up a list of like all the extinct animals. Saber tooth tiger would probably be one of the ones I want back. Why would you want to bring back a predator from like the Ice Age? What the hell? I know, like Ice Age. Too I want, much. I want Sid back. <laughs> I want, I want that squirrel. I want Sid the squirrel. I want the squirrel that's hiding those nuts. <laughs> that's the one I want to bring back. Thanks for listening. To see more Engineering Dads content like this, head to our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and I'll link below to see our other projects. Have a good one.